Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Church family, would you pray with me this morning? God, our Father, we are so thankful for the truth of the gospel. We are thankful that life begins in Christ, that we find purpose and joy and meaning in life and peace in Christ our Savior. And we ask, Lord, that uh, the text that we are about to read and consider and apply this morning, Lord, that um, your Holy Spirit would be pleased to be our, our ultimate teacher, God, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see the beautiful things that you have written to us, truths, God, that we can anchor our lives in and that Christ would be magnified in the, the hearing and the reading and the considering and the applying of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 as we continue in our series in the book of Philippians. And Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul says that to live is Christ. To live is Christ. And I've kind of given that moniker or that theme really to the entire series, that, that our living as believers is unto Christ. It's for Christ. It's in Christ. It's about Christ. And as we've seen in the book of Philippians, particularly in chapter 3, there are all sorts of things that threaten to derail us in living for Christ and, and seeing and orienting our lives toward Christ and living like Jesus lived in the world. We've got our own flesh to deal with. We've got false gospels of trusting in ourselves to deal with. And we've got a religion out there that says you can have Jesus and just ignore his way of life. Like you can, sure, you can trust Jesus and just ignore Jesus largely in your life. All of these things are threats uh, to living life as Christ intends. So, Last week we saw Paul beginning to apply the life of Jesus, in particular the life that he lives on the way to the cross, to the situation going on in Philippi. Marita tells us that what we see in Philippians 4 verses 1 through 9 is is Paul shepherding a church's heart. So back in verses 1 through 3 last week, we saw Paul urging the church to endure for the gospel, in the gospel, with the gospel, in the face of rising persecution, and then to die to self for the sake of unity in the church. And now in verses 4 through 7, Paul is going to continue to tend to the hearts of the church as we navigate the Christian life in a broken world. Did y'all know this world is broken? Did y'all know this world is not as it will one day be, and yet we are called to stand firm in a broken world until our Savior, who was broken to redeem the world, returns. So standing firm and, and being united are essential, but they can't happen for long if we're not feasting on Christ and resting in Him, both in our individual lives and in our shared lives together as, as God's family. So in today's passage, Paul is going to deal with things that I think are, are very real for all of us. He's going to deal with things like joylessness 
and rudeness and anxiety and prayerlessness and ingratitude by giving us what, what I want to call the, the cadence or the rhythm of the Christian life as we navigate the stuff of this world. Would you hear with me from God's Word? Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Does anybody remember that song from when you were a kid? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. No one? Okay, all right. Four of you, thank you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As citizens of heaven, living in a fallen world, we need to live the life that the Spirit produces within by uniting us with Jesus. Our lives are not to just be grinding it out until Jesus returns. Now, I submit to you, sometimes we, we kind of have to go into grind it out mode as we're fighting for joy, as we're being reminded of gospel truth. But God wants more for us than just sort of grind it out. Until Jesus gets back. He, he wants the promises for the future to inform our present. So Paul, once again, you're going to be like, Daniel, the first third of your sermon, you've already preached it. I'm going to try to preach it differently than the other couple times. But what does Paul do? We're just following Scripture, and he tells us once again what? We must rejoice in the Lord. Paul, let's give the invitation. I mean, seriously, folks, rejoice. Is that not convicting? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Whatever's going on, whoever's disappointed you, whatever the stock market, wherever the stock market is, whatever your diagnosis is, rejoice. In the Lord. And, and we need to recall the context in which Paul says this, right? He's just addressed a lack of unity in the church, and he's just said that there are two women at the heart of a controversy who both have their names in the book of life. They're believers, they, they belong to the Lord, and, and that's a reason to rejoice. Whatever you're facing, no matter how difficult, it might be incredibly difficult, by the way. It might be filled with tears. It might be filled with questions that don't seem to have good answers. But we still have an unfailing God and a sure salvation in the Lord. Not rejoice in your circumstances. Not rejoice because you felt like rejoicing, but rejoice in the Lord. Did you know the enemy wants to steal your joy? He wants to wear you down with opposition at work, with a diagnosis in your family, with the loss of a loved one, with doubt, with a strained relationship with a brother or sister, or with a host of other possible difficulties. So Paul again commands us, it's not a suggestion, it's an ongoing command, rejoice and keep on rejoicing in the Lord, and in case you missed it, do it always. Rejoice means to be calm, 
or glad or happy or well-off on the inside. Later in classical Greek, the Bible's written in what's called Koine Greek, but as, as Greek developed into classical Greek, the word that is used here became a term of farewell. Like you meet someone and you talk for a little bit, and then the word that's used here would become a word of like, see you later, but the word literally means joy be with you. As you go, joy be with you. Joy be with you how? In the Lord. To have joy in the Lord is to be well as a Christian. Christians should be characterized by joy. Trials often come in our lives as a sort of joy check, do they not? You ever seen trials in that way? Will I rejoice through tears when my child is sick? Will I rejoice through pain when someone disappoints me? Will I rejoice through the humbling process of being sanctified when I disappoint someone else? Rejoicing is not an option in the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Jesus went to the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus went to Calvary because of joy. What what in the world joy did he have? He had the joy of obeying his Father in a sacrifice that would deliver sinners from death. Yes, it was going to be painful. Yes, it was going to be tormenting. Yes, he would sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, under it all, there was joy. Oh, to have Christ-like joy and perspective on the cross that he presently is calling us to bear. May God help us to rejoice Rejoice, not just when circumstances are great, but in the Lord, in the Lord who saves and never lets go, in the Lord who identifies with us in our weaknesses and knows how to pray for us, in the Lord whose blood can make the foulest sinner clean, in the Lord who took our place and death to give us a share in His eternal life. A commentator by the last name of Fee says this, unmitigated untrammeled joy is or at least should be the distinctive mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. North Roanoke, we want to be a church that is characterized by joy. Why? Because we're in the Lord. God saved us. Isn't that good news? Are y'all awake this morning? I know it was cold. But that's good news, right? All of this is possible Not because of our circumstances, but because God came down on a rescue mission and gave His Son so that we could be united with Him in His resurrection life. So this rejoicing is as unending as the life that Jesus has. When is Jesus' life ever going to end? Again, never. So we keep on rejoicing. The, The command is, keep it up. And just in case we missed it, Paul adds the little word, always. Rejoice in the Lord always, in all things, whatever's going on, the Spirit does not cease to offer a life of joy if we'll keep our focus on Christ and the gospel and His everlasting victory. Rejoice always, in persecution rejoice, in conflict rejoice, in chaos rejoice, in cancer rejoice, in spiritual attack rejoice. And this message is throughout the scriptures, right? It's not just the church at Philippi that's commanded to rejoice. It's, it's the people of God in all times and all places. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, what do we read? Rejoice always. In 
the Psalms. God commands His people often. Psalm 97, 12. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, and give thanks to His holy name. We can rejoice in turbulent times because we are in the Lord. He gives us truth to guide us and His Spirit to supply us, not only with resurrection power to endure, but also communion with our King every step of the way. So this morning, if you are in Christ and you're seeking to serve Him and to follow Him, your challenges are not punishment from God. Whatever you're facing this morning, if you're in Christ, you're living for Christ, we do that sometimes, right? Well, I must... I must have had a bad day at work because I did something wrong last week. If you're in Christ, God is your Father. He loves you. He is for you in Christ Jesus. So the challenges you're facing are not like, oh, God, what are, you, what are you trying to do to me now? What are you trying to beat me up for now? That's not God. He loves you more than you can express. And your challenges are a platform for getting to know God more and to rejoice in Him more. Rejoice in the Lord always doesn't mean that you're never sad. It doesn't mean that you're never grieved or never stretched. Paul, who pins these words, tells us about afflictions and anxieties for the church, abundant. What it means is that underneath it all, there's an ever-flowing well of joy, no matter what season you are in the journey with your king. And just in case we missed it again, not only is it rejoice in the Lord, not only is it rejoice in the Lord always, then what does Paul say? Sort of in, in parentheses, you can, re, you can sort of read between the lines. Paul saying, and just in case you missed it, at the risk of being redundant, rejoice in the Lord always. And I, I know I'm going to repeat myself here, but, and again, I say, rejoice. Why so much emphasis in one verse on rejoicing? Tony Morita, a commentator, writes this, and I think it's instructive for us all. Think of all the sins that are overcome by a heart that rejoices in the Lord always. Would this practice of rejoicing not conquer sins like envy, gossip, stinginess, arrogance, discontentment, and complaining? These these sins grow out of a heart that's not finding joy in Christ. So rejoice in the Lord always And again, the Lord commands us, rejoice. And then Paul moves right out of rejoicing into a second command for Christ-like living. A second rhythm of the Christian life. Not only is it rejoicing, it's also letting our reasonableness or our graciousness or our gentleness, it's a word that's not easy to translate, let it be known to all people. So what we see in verse 5 is we should be known as believers by our reasonableness or our graciousness or our gentleness rather than our insistence on our personal rights. By our reasonableness rather than our insistence on our personal rights. In verse 5, Paul shows us that rejoicing is not just an inward reality that we turn off as soon as things don't go our way. Instead, inner rejoicing leads us to be outwardly reasonable in our relationships with others. Rejoicing in the Lord shows up in how we conduct ourselves in the world and in the church. We're not to go around asserting our rights, but instead to make known our reasonableness or graciousness towards others. The word means to be forbearing, not easily 
flustered, not easily angered or offended, not self-seeking. In 1 Timothy 3.3, Paul uses this word in his description of a pastor. He's not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. It's the same word as reasonable, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. In James chapter 3.17, James writes that the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, then gentle or reasonable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The Christians in Philippi were becoming victims, right, of an unfair treatment being levied against followers of Christ. And Paul does not say to them, let your victim status be evident to all. Instead, he says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. We follow a king who took a cross for us and he empowers us to go the way of the cross for one another and the watching world. When the world sees us face adversity or inconvenience and unfairness without bailing out on Jesus or one another, then the world has to reckon with the reality of heaven. Silva observes this, Paul is once again urging the church to look out not for their own interests, but for the interests of others, and to regard others as more important than themselves. And then he adds, Paul expects believers to be guided by a frame of mind that does not put priority on our personal rights. Believers' primary concern, listen to this, is not whether they are being dealt with fairly or will fail. Excuse me, believers whose primary concern is whether or not they are being dealt with fairly will fail to exercise a fundamental element of Christian behavior, which is this, preferring others above themselves. Let your reasonableness, your forbearance, your others-centeredness be known to all. Reasonableness, gentle rather than gruff, patient rather than pushy, kind rather than going for the kill, calm rather than creating a scene, meek rather than everyone else, please look at me. Let your reasonableness be known to all. This is what we must make known to the watching world. The world needs to see us bearing with one another in love, staying together when it's tough, not pouting when the world assails us, but proclaiming the impact of the gospel in our lives by our reasonableness in an unreasonable world. As those who've been given peace with God through Christ's death, we can be at peace in the world even when things are less than ideal. Fee says it this way, As they keep on rejoicing in the Lord, even in the face of opposition and suffering, what others should see is gentleness. And the others who are to see this are all the others, right? Even our enemies. This is not easy. But Peter tells us that it is our calling as believers. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 21-23, he says this, for, this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to the One who judges justly. He put His life in the hands of the Father. He kept honoring the Father, living for the Father, and He was reasonable every step of the way. Paul reminds us in calling us to reasonableness of the nearness of the Lord. It's not easy, is it? 
to deny self for the sake of others, to deny self for the glory of God and the good of His church. So why does Paul then say the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near? Because one day Jesus is coming back and He'll set every record straight. One day the King of glory who knows hearts, searches hearts, knows every circumstance and every situation and every truth and every lie, He's coming back and He will vindicate His people. We can do this because eternity is real. We can live this way because our Savior is going to be back. He will judge and He will vindicate. In this life, you will face hardships. In this life, you will face unfairness. In this life, you will face mistreatment and hurt and misunderstanding. But we keep our cool because we are in Christ and we have a hope that is beyond the present hassle. And some in the world will take note of our reasonableness under fire. I was on, uh, anybody heard of Elon Musk? Just a few of you. You know, he bought something called Twitter not too long ago. Um, it's called X now, so I don't know what it is when you, when you tweet anymore. You post something. Um, I was on there the other day, and there was a post that someone made asking about how to know God. They're, they're skeptical. He, he says, I'm skeptical, and how, how can I know God? And it was amazing. All these believers were just chiming in. Like, it's, you got to start with the Bible. you got to read the Bible and, and ask God. It, God will, will not rebuff someone who is searching after Him. Of course, why do we search after Him anyway? Because God's doing something, praise God. And so there's these, these amazing chain of responses, and a lot of people are talking about the importance of God's Word and the Bible. And he, he goes on to say that there was a group of Christians serving in the country where he had been posted. I think he was a journalist or something, and there was a disaster, and he was covering it. And a year ago, there were a bunch of believers responding to the disaster in a place where it's not popular to be a believer, but they were there and they were facing the harassment of people and they were handing out Bibles like candy and they were sharing the gospel wherever they could and somebody gave them a Bible and for a year, he's been holding on to that Bible. Hasn't even cracked it open, he said, but he's been holding on to that Bible just wondering. And then he makes this post, and all these people respond, well, you need to start with the Word of God. And he puts on there how the reasonableness of these Christians under fire prompted him to know and believe that there was something special about this book and about these people. So I don't even remember his name, but I saw him last week. You can pray for this gentleman, because last week he said he's going to start cracking open his Bible because there were some Christians in an unreasonable world, living faithfully for God who vindicates, and he has a copy of God's Word, and he's on his journey now. Who knows how God might use our reasonableness? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, Paul urges the church to be reasonable when he says that the church should, listen to this, aspire to live quietly. Did you know that's the aspiration of the Christian? To live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. In other words, don't get caught up in the world's drama. 
live a joyfully unflappable life in Jesus and let that mindset make you supernaturally reasonable in the world. Tomorrow might be tough, but we can face it because He lives and we have life and hope and joy in Him. Because of the reasonableness, the gentleness, the meekness of our Savior in taking our place on the cross, we live for Him by bearing with one another and with a hostile world. Make your reasonableness evident to all. Don't be a hothead. Don't feel like you need to comment on every hot take. Don't jump to conclusions or make assumptions. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. But what do we do? As we're making our gentleness known in the world, as we're trusting that God is near and He will one day vindicate, what do we do with the stuff on the inside? What do we do with the anxieties and the injustices and the cares of this present life? I love what Paul does between verse 5 and verse 6. Do you see it? In verse 5, let the world see your reasonableness. Let the world see your gentleness. Let the world see you not being phased by the world. But then, verse 6, make your requests known to God. There's a place you can take your anxieties. There's a place that you can take your cares and your worries. We can take them to God Himself. Do you see that? So, thirdly, and the, the last sort of rhythm of the Christian life, rejoice, right? Be reasonable, make your reasonableness known. And then finally, we're going to make our requests known to God. So we've got to surrender every aspect of our thought life to the Lord. By releasing anxieties, fears, distracting concerns to Him in prayer. Many of you have memorized this section of verses. And it's a section that I find to be easily memorized. And yet, it's not as easy to practice, is it? Surrender our entire thought life to God. The words, the Lord is near at the end of verse 5, seem to have an intentional double meaning. Not only is He near and we can trust that He will vindicate us one day, but He's also near in the sense that He's with us right now. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. We know the Spirit has been sent to unite us with Jesus now. We know that we will be with Him in His physical presence one day forevermore. But right now, He is here by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And He is with us and He is in us. And because this is true, Paul confidently repeats what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Literally, for nothing be anxious. For nothing, be anxious. And like the command to rejoice, it is ongoing. Keep on not being anxious. Not just today, not just during the sermon about not being anxious, but when you leave, don't be anxious. When you wake up tomorrow, don't be anxious. When something that's anxiety-inducing happens, don't be anxious. Keep on not being anxious. For nothing, don't be anxious. Don't be distracted by the fears and anxieties and cares that come with, oh, I don't know, you, you know, being alive, right? If anybody's got a pulse, anybody, anybody ever, anybody not know what anxiety is? Anybody need me to define that? Right? I mean, everybody's had it, right? Everybody's faced it. 
You might be the most chill person in the world, but I submit to you, even the most chill person in the world has had at least one anxiety in their life, right? Don't be anxious. Don't be sidelined by cares that hinder us from knowing and loving and serving and enjoying the Lord. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us that anxiety is opposed to faith. He tells us that the Father feeds the birds. How much more is He going to provide for our physical needs? He tells us we can, we can rest in Him. And then he, he tells us this, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Man, that's convicting. I'm going to get to eternity, and, and all the time that I've spent worrying will have added nothing to my life, but it sure will have detracted from it. An hour of worry robs you of an hour of life. A day of worry robs you of a day of life. You're adding nothing by worrying. And I once heard a sermon, I've told you this once before in another message, but I heard a sermon one time on this very passage that only 8% of what we worry about ever comes to fruition. 8%. And you know what I did for the rest of the sermon? Please don't do that this morning. But what I did for the rest of the sermon is I worried about which of the worries that I had would be the 8% that came to fruition. Now, some of you are sitting there going, it can't be 8%. It's got to be more like 50 or 75 or, or 100. Do any of you just like have the spidey sense? Like everything you worry about, the, the next thing you know it's happening? That seems to be my life, to be honest. Um, but, but still, don't worry. It's not, you, can't, you can't change it by worrying about it. The command not to worry, I, I find to be a tall order. But it is an essential command. Apprehension and fear mark the life of the unbeliever, those who are not trusting, those for whom the present is all there is. But we have an eternity that is secure in Christ. Therefore, we can take our anxieties to God in prayer. Notice Paul doesn't tell us to ignore the present but instead to pray, to present our requests, to bring our requests to God. Literally to, to make them known in His presence. And we can do that. Why? Because the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10.19 says we can enter boldly into the presence of God because we've been cleansed by His blood. So Paul is saying this, don't dwell on your cares, don't become sidelined by your anxieties. Instead, let those worries and fears and apprehensions become the very requests that you bring into God's presence. What kind of cares and concerns should we bring? All of them. There's nothing that you're going to worry about that God doesn't already know about, so bring it. In everything, make your requests known to God. And how do we do that? We, we pray. Paul uses three words for prayer in this verse. Prayer, supplications, requests, or petitions. It's just a variety of ways of praying. Has anybody ever been anxious and not known why? Like you just wake up and you're like, man, I just, I just feel some anxiety. I can't, I can't even identify what I'm worried about, but I'm worried about something. Pray. <laughs> that, that's the general term for prayer. In everything, even in a general bout of anxiety, 
take it to the Lord and, and take it in the form of a request. A more specific concern or specific worry. Make it a specific request. What, what worries this morning? What anxieties, what distracting cares are most likely to keep you back from enjoying fellowship with the Lord who is near? Is it your finances? Is it the path that one of your children is on? Is it the current economy or our political climate or presidential election year that's on the way? Whatever your anxiety, let it become a request that is is rooted in your identity in Christ. Let, Let me illustrate this for just a moment. If you're worried about finances, what should your request be? Is, is it just, God, give me more money? That, that's, that's an appropriate prayer, right? God, give me a promotion. God, give me an opportunity. That's an okay request. But let's take the request a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more tending to our heart. What if we said, Father, help me to trust you as my provider? Father, remind me that you are my father and you love me like your own son. What if your child is sick? Father, please work in my child's life for the glory of your son. Work in my son's life so that your son might be glorified. What a request that might be. Father, help me to not make an idol. We got any students in here this morning? Any college students? Who are, you got a, you're studying for an exam and you're all anxious about what grade you're going to get on the exam? What if instead we said, Father, help me to not make an idol out of my grades and the grade I'll get on this exam and instead trust you with my future? That's what it looks like to make requests to God. And in all of this, we do it how? With thanksgiving. With complete dependence upon God and gratitude to God for who He is and what He's done. We acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from a good God who gives life and life everlasting in His Son. Gratitude and humility hang together. When we come as a grateful people to a good Father, we don't come with demands but requests, trusting our good Father to do what is best from the perspective of eternity. So when we turn our anxieties into gospel-driven requests offered to God in thankfulness, what, are we, what is the promise? Look at verse 7. We, we are promised peace. That God will give us peace. How is it that God can give us peace? We can have peace because if you drop down to verse 9, God is the God of peace. There's no confusion in the Father, Son, and Spirit. He is perfectly at peace. There's no doubt or uncertainty or worry in God. God is totally satisfied in God. And He welcomes us into the settledness that is in God Himself. So peace is not just about peace within, but peace with other believers as well. We don't need to have anxiety in the face of opposition in the world because we will experience the protection of God's peace together in the midst of conflict, in the midst of assault, in the midst of whatever it is we face. And this peace that God supplies is a supernatural reality, right? Where does peace come from? It's one of the fruit it's a part of the fruit of the spirit. God supplies it through a spirit-transformed life. Peace means wholeness, wellness, settledness, and it's a peace that does what? It exceeds all human understanding. It transcends what we can 
comprehend with our fleshly mind. Our fleshly minds can only think of right now. Our fleshly minds can only think of the present. Our fleshly minds can only think of what I need or what I want or what's going to happen tomorrow. But the peace of God allows us to look to the end with confidence that the God who gives us peace with God through Christ will give us His peace to the end. And this is true even when the anxiety is because we've failed to follow Jesus. You know, anxiety comes for a lot of reasons to the believer's life. Finances, sickness, diagnosis, disappointments. And sometimes it comes because we've sinned. And we've, we've hindered our fellowship with a holy God. But did you know that God welcomes the repentant believer with open arms? When I was a, an early teen... I remember that I had done something my dad had specifically asked me not to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. None of your business. I was already a believer. I was already a Christ follower. But the fellowship that I had with the Spirit and with my Father was impacted in a negative way by that sin. Dad didn't know I had done it. He didn't know I was struggling. But until the moment that I confessed my sin to my father, I was not enjoying fellowship with God. And in the moment that I did, I was so horrified to tell my dad. You know what my dad did? He hugged the snot out of me. And he told me that I was his son and that he loved me. And that nothing could ever change that. And I've never forgotten it. And there's some people here this morning. To be totally honest, you need that kind of moment with the Lord, your heavenly father. You're here, you know you're supposed to be here, but something's missing. And the something missing is just a... A coming back to your dad and saying, Dad, I'm sorry, forgive me. I want to feel the fellowship of your Holy Spirit in my life again because I'm running around with anxiety. I'm running around with cares and toils because I'm not being honest about my need for you. And in just a moment, our worship team is going to come and I would encourage you just to come and pray about whatever it is. Maybe there's somebody that you've sinned against and you need to deal with that. You'll be amazed to see how anxiety lifts from your life the moment that you endeavor to live clean and close to God and with other Christians. It'll just melt away. Whatever you're facing this morning, God's peace is available and it is a peace that will stand guard for your hearts and minds. Isn't that, do you, do you see the irony? God will give you peace, and it will be your guard. You will fight the war in this world with confidence because God's peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Some of you this morning are sick with worry, and you need to let your request be made known to God. Give it all over him to, to Him today, and the, the peace of God will guard your heart and your head. When Elizabeth was little and learning how to swim, sort of. Um, she got the arms down and she got the legs down. 
They were all moving in the correct way. And yet, she couldn't go anywhere. Some of you are living that Christian life right now. You believe Jesus, you love Jesus, you know Jesus, but you feel like you're stuck and you're going nowhere. You know why she was stuck and going nowhere? Because as long as you... Those of you who are swimmers know this. As long as you try to hold yourself up in the water, what do you do? You sink. Until you learn to let the water sustain your weight and just lay like you're laying on a couch on that water, you will never float and you will sink no matter how hard you... You can do that and you're going to drop like a rock. And I would hold Elizabeth under her abdomen and I would be like just relax and she would be so tense all the time and I'm like just relax 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 and she finally learned to relax and then boom she was flying some of you this morning need to get back to the rhythm of the Christian life because you can read your Bible you can memorize scripture you can come to Christian community but until you inwardly learn to wake up and rejoice in the Lord and make your reasonableness known to all and to take those cares and anxieties and turn them into requests to God you're going to keep sinking this morning whatever you're carrying I want to urge you from the bottom of my heart as one who has fought this war and is still fighting it himself to trust in the Lord lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight whatever you have this morning I pray you leave rejoicing in the God who gives peace to the hearts and the minds and lives of those who learn to rest in Christ Jesus Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, have your will and your way among us this morning. Those who who are feeling anxious because, God, they just need to return to you, I pray they would return. Those who are feeling anxious about their eternity because they don't yet have Christ as their Savior, I pray you would give liberty to repent and believe in Jesus and leave a redeemed sinner with a sure hope of eternity with Jesus. And God, for for the Christian who's, who's doing all the right things, but still is filled with anxiety, God, bring them back to this pattern of rejoicing, making their reasonableness known, and making their requests known to you every single day, so that they might run for the glory of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing together. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.